The only Victorian era prison still standing in the city of Belfast in Northern Ireland was once known as Europe's Alcatraz. Dating from 1845, this was a place of incarceration and execution. It closed in 1996, and ever since, visitors have reported all manner of paranormal occurrences, such as things moving of their own accord, voices from empty cells, and ghosts have actually been seen and photographed. It is considered one of the most haunted places in this capital city, but is it worthy of such a reputation? Tonight, join me as we dare to enter the empty, silent prison of Crumlin Road Jail. Welcome to episode 16 of How Haunted, a weekly paranormal podcast where each episode we explore the horrible history and terrifying ghost stories of one of the most haunted places on planet Earth. I'm Rob Kirkup, author, paranormal historian and ghost hunter from the northeast of England. Allow me to be your guide as we dare to investigate in depth the often dark and troubled history of each location and of course, the chilling tales of the ghosts that reside within. This week we head to Belfast, Northern Ireland, and ask, just how haunted is Crumlin Road Jail? Listener discretion is advised, as each episode of How Haunted will feature gruesome tales, horrific happenings, bloody murder, and ghosts. So many ghosts. Listen on if you dare. Crumlin Road Jail, or HMP Belfast to give it its official name, is situated on Crumlin Road in North Belfast, and it's the last remaining Victorian prison in Northern Ireland. It's known locally as the Crumb. Designed by English architect Sir Charles Lanyon in 1841 in the Italian Renaissance style, constructed between 1843 and 1845 by contractors, William and Sons from Dublin, it cost £60,000. Crumlin Road Jail was built to replace a small county jail on Antrim Street in Carrickfergus. Ten acres were set aside for the site at the bottom of Crumlin Road, and it was one of the most advanced prisons of the time, based partially 
on HMP Pentonville in London, which had opened a few years earlier in 1842. It was built within a five-sided wall. Four wings each stood four storeys tall, and surrounded a central section known as the Circle. The jail was designed to house a maximum of 550 prisoners, as it was the first prison in the country designed to facilitate the separate system. The separate system would mean that each prisoner would be held separately and have no contact whatsoever with any other inmates. The thinking behind this approach was that it would be similar to the solitary life of a monk, to strip away the identity of the inmate and ensure that the criminal subculture which was rife in densely populated prisons wasn't present. Prisoners would be held in reduced numbers. The guards would not know the prisoner's name or what crime or crimes had led to their incarceration. The guard would be prohibited from speaking to them and would ensure that the prisoners did not communicate with their fellow convicts. Prisoners were hooded when they were not in their cells and even wore shoes designed to muffle their footsteps. The desired result was dumb obedience and passive disorientation. The cells were small at 12 feet by 7 feet or 3.6 metres by 2.1 metres and despite being designed for sole occupants, by the 1970s overcrowding a Crumlin Road jail meant that these small cells often had up to three prisoners held in them. The prison opened in 1846 with the first governor being a man named John Forbes. The first 106 inmates were transferred from Carrickfergus prison and had to walk the 11 miles to their new prison in chains. These prisoners included men, women and children. Six of these prisoners were awaiting deportation, 17 were already serving sentences, six of whom were described as lunatics, and the remainder were awaiting trial. It was common in the early years of the jail that children, some as young as six years old, would be imprisoned for what we would consider today minor offences, such as stealing clothes or food. This wasn't done because these children were bad, they were doing it to help feed and clothe their struggling families. In 1858, Patrick McGee, who was just 13 years old, hung himself in his cell. He had been sentenced to three months in prison. A news article about Patrick's suicide appeared in the Belfast News newspaper, dated on the 29th of April 1858, and reads, An inquest was held yesterday morning at the county prison before J.K. Jackson, Esquire, Coroner, on the body of the boy, Patrick McGee, who committed suicide the previous afternoon. It rarely happens that we have to record the suicide of a person so young as this boy was, 13 years, and under such extraordinary circumstances. It appeared that this poor boy was sentenced at the police court on Tuesday morning to three months imprisonment for stealing stockings, and that shortly after being placed in the cell of the prison, he fastened his necktie to a hook which was on the wall of the cell, and by that means suspended himself and succeeded in causing almost instantaneous death. The turnkey found him, a few minutes after the commission of the act, still suspended and quite warm. All means were tried to restore him to life, but without avail. The jury returned a verdict that Patrick McGee, on the 27th day of April 1858, committed suicide while labouring under temporary insanity by suspending himself with his necktie from a hook inside of the cells of the jail aforementioned while a prisoner therein. And the jury are of the opinion that every care and precaution was adopted in the jail and that no blame can be attached to any person therein reference to said death. It appears that the deceased had been subject to fits, 
which his mind would be for some time astray, and it is thought that he must have had one of these fits when he committed this rash act. As well as children, women were imprisoned here until the early 1900s. In 1914, suffragettes from Ulster were held in the jail in the A-Wing, which is where the female prisoners were housed. During the years that the prison was in operation, some of Northern Ireland's most famous inmates were imprisoned here. Former Taoiseach Eamon de Valera was held in solitary confinement for a month in 1924 for illegally entering Northern Ireland, and again for the same crime five years later, although he found his second stay a much more pleasurable experience as he befriended the governor, and they would have dinner and play chess together. Loyalist politician and Protestant religious leader Ian Paisley was sentenced to three months for a lawful assembly in 1966. Republican Sinn Féin politician and Deputy First Prime Minister of Northern Ireland, Martin McGuinness, spent time in Crumlin Road in the 1970s. Loyalist Michael Stone was incarcerated here, and IRA member Bobby Sands was imprisoned here in 1977, following a gun battle with the Royal Ulster Constabulary. Immediately after being sentenced, Sands was implicated in a fight and sent to the punishment block. These cells contained a bed, a mattress, a chamber pot and a water container. Books, radios and other personal items were not permitted, although a Bible and some Catholic pamphlets were provided. Bobby Sands refused to wear a prison uniform, so was kept naked in his cell for 22 days, without access to bedding from 7.30am to 8.30pm each day. He would later die while on hunger strike in May's prison in 1981. He was only 27 years old. The jail's first five executions were carried out in public view to crowds of up to 20,000. Those hanged at the gallows were Robert Henry O'Neill on the 21st of June 1854, Daniel Ward on the 8th of April 1863, John Daly on the 26th of April 1876, Arthur McKeown on the 14th of January 1889, John Gilmore on the 17th of August 1894. In 1901, a stone execution chamber within Sea Wing was used for the first time, when William Woods was hanged. A further 11 prisoners met their death here. The last man executed, not only at Crumlin Road Jail, but the last in all of Northern Ireland, was 25-year-old unemployed labourer Robert McLaddery, who was hanged on the 20th of December 1961 for the murder of Pearl Gamble, whom he had battered, strangled and stabbed to death on the 28th of January 1961. Well, my lord, there are a lot of things I could say, but I don't think any of them would make any difference now, said a resigned McLaddery in court as he learned his fate. The executioner on that day was Harry Allen. The prisoner sentenced to execution would live in the condemned cell, large enough for the prisoner plus two guards. After death, the bodies would usually be buried inside the prison grounds against the back wall, next to the prison hospital in unconsecrated ground. The graves were marked only with their initials and the year of execution on the prison wall. This happened in all 17 instances, although two bodies were later removed and reinterred in Milltown Cemetery, four miles away. The primary hangman in charge at Crumlin Road was Thomas Pierpoint, who carried out six executions in the jail between 1928 and 1942. Despite being called Europe's Alcatraz, ironically, it's famous for having the maximum number of escapes and escape attempts from any prison in all of Ireland. The first escape was in 1866. In May 1941, 
five Irish Republican prisoners made their escape over the wall to freedom. And on the 17th of November, 1971, nine Republican prisoners, nicknamed the Crumbling Kangaroos, escaped. Then less than a month later, three more Republican prisoners escaped. And that's not even scratching the surface of all of the escapees. The Troubles, which were also called the Northern Ireland Conflict, saw violent sectarian conflict for about 30 years from 1968 to 1998 between the overwhelmingly Protestant Unionists called the Loyalists, who had desired the Providence to remain part of the United Kingdom, and the overwhelmingly Roman Catholic Nationalists called the Republicans, who wanted Northern Ireland to become part of the Republic of Ireland. During these troubled times, the Loyalist wing of the prison became a target, and on the 24th of November 1991, a provisional IRA bomb killed a prisoner who was part of the Ulster Volunteer Force, and another inmate who was part of the Ulster Defence Association. The jail closed its doors as a prison on March 31st, 1996. During its 150 years of operation, around 25,000 prisoners were detained here. Opposite the jail is the Crumlin Road Courthouse, derelict since its closure in June of 1998. There were once grand plans for the building, as it was sold to a local investor called Barry Gilligan in September 2003 for the princely sum of £1. He had visions to transform the once impressive structure into a hotel and a historic tourist attraction. However, the courthouse was ravaged by fire on three separate occasions in 2009. In 2017, the disused courthouse site was once again sold and the buyer, Lawrence Kenwright, had plans to convert it into a hotel. But this has yet to happen as the building was once again badly damaged by fire in June of 2020. There is a tunnel between the main road connecting the jail to the courthouse. This was used to safely transport prisoners between the buildings. Crumlin Road Jail was left empty following its closure. That was until November 2012 when it opened as a tourist attraction, offering tales of executions, famous inmates, riots, hunger strikes, escapes, and the gruesome secrets permeate 150 years of prison life in Northern Ireland. This new museum was visited by the late Queen Elizabeth II in 2014. On her visit, she was joined by Northern Ireland's First Minister, Peter Robinson, and Deputy First Minister Martin McGuinness. Both were former inmates of the Crumlin Road Jail. A £22 million redevelopment is currently underway, to transform A-Wing into a whiskey distillery and visitor centre, and will be open in autumn 2023. Visitors can explore the prison as part of the Crumlin Road Jail experience, a guided tour through the underground tunnel from the courthouse across the road to the prison, the hanging cell, the historic holding cells, the governor's office, the graveyard, the C-Wing, the hospital, the condemned man's cell, before seeing the execution chamber, where the majority of those 17 men were executed. There are also spooky stories of strange occurrences, and ghosts are said to linger throughout the old jail. The paranormal tour here is not for the faint of heart. Are these just stories to attract visitors with a keen interest in the paranormal, or could there really be something unexplainable happening at Crumlin Road Jail? Let's find out together, next, on How Haunted.
For 150 years, Crumlin Road Jail was a place of torment and misery, as day after day these prisoners were locked up, all alone, with no contact with anyone, just waiting for the days, months and years to pass. And for 17 of these inmates, rather than counting down the days until they'd once again taste freedom, they were counting down the days until they were put to death at the end of the hangman's noose. It appears that this suffering has left a stain on this grade A listed building, and paranormal occurrences are reported daily, especially on the paranormal investigations that the jail hosts on a regular basis. Alleged phenomenon at the former jail include disembodied voices of men, women and children crying out for help. Sobbing and weeping is heard. Footsteps. Doors regularly slam shut on their own, and objects move of their own accord, often moving from one locked cell to another overnight, when nobody has been in the building. The old jail is popular with ghost hunters, and on investigations in recent years, there have been some unusual sounds captured on recording devices, such as whistling, coughing, laughing, a man groaning and sighing. Nothing was heard at the time by anybody present until these recordings were played back. The padded cell in B-Wing was added in 1934 for those prisoners considered a risk to themselves or to others, and it is claimed by some to be one of the most active areas of the entire prison complex. Visitors have felt themselves being pushed or grabbed while in the cell alone. Others who have felt fine throughout the rest of the jail have felt uneasy in here for no apparent reason and couldn't wait to get out, when this feeling would lift immediately. Some have claimed to have felt the presence of a man standing in the corner, watching their every move. They couldn't see him, but they could just feel that he was there. B-Wing is also the haunt of a phantom of a former prison warden. He is seen going from cell to cell on his rounds, and the footsteps of his heavy boots are heard. Elsewhere in this wing, objects are thrown across rooms, and have even vanished into thin air. Ghost hunters have placed objects down as trigger objects, which is something that you place in a room, such as a stack of coins, to see if when you return, it's been disturbed. But at Crumlin Road Jail, these objects have just disappeared altogether, never to be found. Sea Wing's most common spectre is that of an unknown man who walks down the corridor before just dissolving away to nothing. Sea Wing is also the location of one of the spookiest and the darkest places in all of the jail, the execution chamber. A noose hangs in here, and it's claimed that this is the original rope that was used to execute at least some of the twelve who met their end in this very room. Daywing is said to be home to the ghost of a man who stands in the doorways and silently watches visitors. The tunnel that runs beneath the road and connects the prison and the courthouse is home to a number of strange occurrences. Even when the prison was still in use, guards would frequently say that they'd seen a grey figure and this ghost is still seen today. There are three well-known photographs taken at Crumlin Road Jail, all of which appeared in the national press, generating some real intrigue into the ghosts of the prison. All of these photographs can be viewed right now on the Instagram at HowHauntedPod. Arguably the best known is the face in the coffin photograph. A visitor posed in an empty coffin and asked for their picture to be taken in an area near to the condemned cell but it would appear that perhaps the coffin wasn't as empty as he had hoped, as next to his head is a very definite male face, 
Take a look at it and make your own decision as to whether you think you're looking at the face of a former inmate. Another incredible photograph was captured in 2016 on the perfect night for all things terrifying, Halloween. Carly Foster, a 25-year-old, was on a paranormal tour of the prison with her boyfriend, Mark Whittle. The tour had been full of strange occurrences, such as a heavy metal door closing all on its own, and a number of strange noises were heard. Carly's tour group had been using ghost hunting equipment, and one in particular, an EMF meter, which measures electromagnetic frequencies, which some claim increase when a ghost is present, went crazy after the tour guides told a story about a little girl called Isabel. Carly took some photographs at this point, and when she looked at them later, she could not believe her eyes. One photograph she took shows the figure of a young girl stood in the doorway of a prison cell. On another photo taken only a split second earlier, she isn't there. Speaking to Belfast Live in a story which was picked up by the national press, Carly a student at Queen University said, It was in this wing that I felt the most weird and unsettled, and it was freezing cold. Then this shows up on the pictures. Three years later, in February 2019, the jail was back in the news, as once again, another truly amazing photograph had been captured on a tour. Sarah Murphy from Cork was visiting with her parents and her daughter, and she caught a photograph of what she describes as a man in uniform who was stood in a doorway of a cell in B-Wing. Interestingly, this is where a ghostly prison warden is said to lurk, still going about his duties in death. She spoke to Belfast Live, and in a story which once again hit the national news, she said, All the tours go down C-Wing, so I just stood at the gates to B-Wing and snapped a few photos just in case. The wing was in darkness, there was nobody down there. But I noticed it when we got back to where we were staying and I had a look through the photos and zoomed in. And there was a man in uniform. What do you think of these photos? I'm dying to hear your thoughts. While I was working on this episode, I received a message from listener, Jenny Boanka. Originally from Derry, but now living in Belfast. And in a spooky coincidence, she asked if I'd considered doing an episode about Crumlin Road Jail. She mentioned that she'd visited the jail with her boyfriend the previous week, and was kind enough to send me an audio clip explaining what happened when they were there on their ghost hunt. So there was about, I would say there's probably about um, 16 of us maybe 18, going on this tour. So it was like a group of random people and the first place they took us was down to the tunnel where there had been like rumours of like the sounds of keys jingling and footsteps and that kind of thing. And I don't think there was any activity. don't think anybody felt any activity there. There was like a general sense of like bad vibes, like darkness or whatever, but there wasn't really anything happened down there. And then we moved on to... I think it was A-Wing, where we were walking past, like, a bunch of different, like, cell rooms. It was, like, in a cell block. And the tour guide had these tables laid out with, like, big bits of paper on them. And there was, like, a planchette with a pencil on it. And then there was yes, no, come, stay, or something like that there. 
on like the four corners and basically groups of people were go to go over and put their fingers on the planchette and they see if if they were speaking to a spirit that might have been there that the planchette would move so they were like asking questions to see if it would move and um, one of them did kind of move so we had been told that the potential spirits that were there sometimes they don't like people coming in and doing that there but basically one of them anyway went into like one of the people ended up going into one of the cells by themselves but again like I don't think anything happened but it was in that area that I sensed a presence there was what I believe to be the spirit like a spirit presence of a spirit on so there was like a metal staircase going up from the far end to the upper cells and I felt that there was a presence on the stairs watching us and I could feel it watching us and I couldn't see anything there but I could definitely feel it and I did try to snap a couple of pictures of it but I didn't catch anything in the pictures and then as I was like looking around upstairs I could feel that it was like going up there and then coming back down and sitting on the stairs and watching us again which was like all there was for that bit and then in the next part there was I think that last I think the last one was like a wing and then this bit was in the circular bit between the wings I cannot remember what it's called but I think if you have a map like you'll be able to figure out what it is but basically in this big circular area there was a table like a big big long long table and everybody stood around the table and touched their pinkies to the pinkies of the person next to them so like all the hands were touching and there was a couple of toys in the middle and basically it was because apparently there had been a 15 year old boy or something like that there in that room there was like lights on the teddy bear and the tour guide was saying that if there was any spirits in the room to come over and like light up the touch the teddy bear so that, so that it would light up and it did start lighting up so it was like lighting up it was lighting up whenever he was talking to it and then he was saying you know like go towards like a person that you feel comfortable standing with and I wasn't touching the table I don't touch anything like that there any Ouija boards any seances anything like that there I wouldn't touch it because I think you have I've heard it in one of your previous stories where a person brought an entity home or like brought a spirit home and I'm very very cautious about that kind of thing I grew up in a very Christian household so I'm very aware of how real it is to bring or to invite a spirit or a demon or a negative entity into your life and I'm very conscious of that and I wouldn't do that so I didn't touch any of the stuff but he was walking around basically with this teddy bear and kind of like holding it near people people to see if there was a spirit close by and he was holding it next to the woman that was beside me and it was kind of going off so he handed it to her and she went off and stood in a slightly separate area of the room to see if it would continue to light up as in like if the spirit was going with her but whenever she walked away I kind of looked down beside me and I felt like it was there that this this spirit was beside me the spirit of the little boy now I'm actually a classroom assistant and I be quite close with the children that I work with so I was thinking that maybe the spirit of that little boy sensed that I was like a safe person to be with and he hung out there he only hung out for about five ten seconds and then it was gone like that but because she had walked away with a teddy bear obviously it wasn't lighting up or anything like that there but yes I definitely felt um the presence of a little boy beside me and then um yeah we moved on and I think we went into the hanging room 
which was um you'll probably know from reading about it that so basically you go through a cell and then you go into this wee room that has like a toilet and like a bookshelf and then the bookshelf slides out of the way and then you're in the hanging room so we all kind of crammed in there and we were listening to your man and he was kind of talking and like asking to see if there was anybody present i felt the name john coming up in my head like as if somebody was like suggesting the name john and i was i turned around and i was there with my boyfriend and i said to him is there any lists of the people who were hanged and in, in here and he said there probably is downstairs like at the reception like entry area place he's like you probably check it out and i was like because i keep feeling the name john coming up and he's like i sure to check it out after so that was pretty much it we moved on and then we went down into like a basementy type area where there was like a wooden coffin with like a ouija board but the ouija board sessions didn't come up with anything um so then whenever the, the tour was finished so i went up to the tour guide then and i and i said to him about the different feelings that i had had and he was kind of like listening on along and was like yeah, yeah, yeah and there was like two security guards who were there who were also chatting this and listening and then i said to him oh was there anybody that died in the hanging room by the name of john and he kind of looked really surprised at me and he was like why do you ask and i was like oh whenever i was in there i felt the name john and he basically said that i was the second person that day that had said that to him that they had felt the name john whenever they were in there and told me to look up john daly so i did a google john daly crumman road jail and he was the first person to be hanged in the jail which was really interesting so that was quite serendipitous i suppose <laughs> so then whenever we were like talking to we were talking to the security guard trev who's been there quite a long time and he's had like a lot of paranormal experiences everything from footsteps running around chains swinging he had like a video of like a figure appearing in the middle of security footage and then it like hung around for a wee while and then it left again i so the security guard had said that he came home from work one night and about three o'clock in the morning the dog started barking um so and his, his dog was like barking at the corner of the room like couldn't figure out what it was so they got the, the dog calmed down and went back to bed and then the same thing happened the next night it was just him and his son that the, the, his wife his wife wasn't aware of this and the same thing happened again three o'clock in the morning the dog's barking away so they find the dog calmed down and then on the last night whenever they went down the stairs to do try and get the dog to stop barking the sofa in the living room had been pushed up right against the door so like they couldn't open the door but after that then it didn't happen again like it stopped but he had said that another security guard had had pretty much the exact same thing happen to him. The security guard, Trev, was telling us that there was, like, a ghost hunting team had been in the infirmary that's attached to the to the jail. And the team was doing, like, a sensory submersive experiment, you know, where she had the blindfold on. She was sitting in the room and she had headphones on that was attached to the radio. It was playing, like, white noise, you know, whenever the random wee words pop up, if there's, like, a ghost speaking. And the team which included a historian, was like asking questions into the room, hoping that the ghost would respond. They asked it a question and basically the name Trev kept coming up. Um, Trev wasn't even working this night. And then after they had finished the experiment, she was like, oh, I don't know why like this name Trev kept coming up. There's nobody here called Trev. And the historian was like, uh, the security guard that usually works here is called Trev. So apparently all the ghosts love Trev which is quite sweet that even when he wasn't there, they were asking for him. Thanks so much, Jenny. 
If you've been to Crumlin Road Jail, or indeed you've been to any of the locations featured on How Haunted and experienced something otherworldly, I'd love to hear from you too. Thank you so much for joining me once again. You can follow How Haunted on Twitter at at HowHauntedPod or over on Instagram at HowHauntedPod where you will see photos galore relating to Crumlin Road Jail, including the photos I mentioned earlier. If you want to get in touch, you can do so by visiting the website at www.how-haunted.com or you can email me directly at rob at how-haunted.com. Feedback, location suggestions and your own experiences are all more than welcome. Feel free to ask me any questions you like and I'll answer them all on a dedicated Q&A episode. If you'd like to support the show and get early access to episodes, you can join the Patreon for less than the price of a pint. You'll also get access to exclusive episodes where you'll join me on an actual paranormal investigation and hear the audio as it happened. There's three episodes of that nature waiting for you right now. If you aren't a fan of Patreon, or perhaps would prefer to make a one-off donation to the podcast, why not donate £2 to buy me a coffee? All the information on how you can support How Haunted is in the podcast description and over on the website. If you've enjoyed this episode, if enjoy is the right word, then please subscribe and review the podcast on your podcast provider of choice. It really does help other people to find How Haunted. I have a copy of my book Ghosts of York up for grabs. If you'd like to enter, it's incredibly easy to do. All you need to do is follow me on Twitter and or Instagram. My username for both is HowHauntedPod. You'll get one entry for each, so you can enter twice by following on both. The competition will end on the 24th of December 2022, and the winner will be announced over on Twitter and on the first podcast episode after the closing date. Next time out, it's Christmas, and I'm going to get you to consider the possibility of ghosts and ghouls lurking in the darkness in the one place you definitely don't want them to be present. The place you want to be completely safe from anything otherworldly, especially at this time of year when you're gathered around the Christmas tree exchanging gifts with your nearest and dearest. Next week, in the very first annual Nightmare Before Christmas, we look at some terrifying examples from across the UK as we consider the prospect of your own home being home to an unwelcome, long-dead guest this Christmas time. Thank you so much for accompanying me for our paranormal adventures once again. Stay safe, and join me next time, when we will once again ask the question, How Haunted?